it's very difficult to be fiscally prudent when the dollar is all over the place. And it's, as they say, the cleanest shirt in the hamper, right? It's even worse in other countries to try to figure out what something is even worth anymore. And look at how many jobs exist just trading stuff because you have a better situation for knowing what it's really worth, right? And that's not actually productive economics when you have, I don't know, one out of five jobs or just people buying and selling based on the changing values of things in dollar terms. You know, how could day trading even exist as a profession if the dollar was stable? This week on Monero Talk is sponsored by Cake Wallet. Store, send, receive, and exchange your Monero and Bitcoin safely on iOS and Android too. Cake Wallet is open source and you always control your own keys. And by Stealth EX, an instant exchange where privacy is the top concern. Go to StealthEX.io to instantly exchange between Monero and 450 plus assets without having to create an account or register and with no limits. Making Stealth EX a simple way to purchase Monero with crypto anonymously. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever. By typing in MoneroTalk.crypto in your Monero.com or Cake Wallet send address field to send us a tip. This week on Monero Talk. Douglas Tuman interviews Jake, a Monero enthusiast living the agorist lifestyle in Alaska. The two discuss the ease of using Graphene OS, the stability of the price of Monero, will it stay stable or is this temporary, how to create a circular free market economy using Monero and onboarding vendors and customers, the need for Monero to tap into its artistic side to connect to people, and much more. Monero Talk starts now. Jake, what's going on, man? I'm having a great day, man. I'm having a great day. Dude, it was a pleasure meeting you at Monerotopia in person. That was well, uh, I, you're one, one of my to that, right? ponder memories of Monerotopia. I don't know how you guys pulled it off, but it was amazing. I've been to a lot of interesting conferences for just about everything you can think of, and I'm telling you, that was the best one easily. It was good energy, right? It was good. Yeah, it's, it's the right kinds of people for such a such a thing as this. So, yeah, I think a, I think a big part of it was yeah, just having the right crowd. Uh, we mm -hmm. attract people such as yourself, man, who who shows up and within the first five minutes of meeting you, you gave me a, a <laughs> yeah, yeah. He googled phone. Greatly um, appreciate that. I'm trying to kind of like it because you you are the face of Monero, so I figured something a little more anonymous. Yes, I at least on the side, you know, it's. Um, I'll drag you kicking and screaming if I have to to the Linux crowd, one way or the other. Dude, greatly appreciate it. I finally got it up and running today. Started it up. Uh, sent you a message on on uh, session. I don't know if you got it. Yeah, uh, but I will now. I will now be using this. I want to use it in the, you know, in the best way possible, right? So right now, yeah, you, you hooked me up. You put session on there. I got Monero.com wallet. Um, what else <laughs> what, what else you recommend? I use? What should I use as the browser? 
Well, the, the Vindulum, I think it's called, that's on there is is pretty stellar. It works just like you would expect, a, you know, chrome. In fact, chrome is a fork of chromium. Well, Vindulum is a more degoogled version of chromium. Um, and it's it's great. It's, so if you're already used to Google Chrome, it's like a really good way to... Um, Brave is a good browser. I mean, it's it's got its pros and cons, but Brave where... Um, there's something called browser isolation though. And browser isolation is basically you do different things on different browsers mm. and it prevents, you know, cookies or tracking software or whatever from following you from one browser to another. Um, but what I would tell you is the best way to use any kind of, you know, secure software, open source software, or any kinds of secure devices is to actually use them you know it's i i've had so many people um because i do this all the time right i, I started uh with a couple of friends of mine getgrapheneos.com the idea was uh to make it easier to put secure private smartphones in the hands of the average user because everybody's starting to wake up to the fact that you have these Orwellian spy devices just like following you around in your pocket all the time. Um, and long before there was even like the de-Googled graphene phones and all that, I was a big supporter of uh, Purism and PinePhone and I, I've always been really into it. But um, the, the graphene project has really made it super accessible to the average person. Uh, Lineage does a good job too, um, but graphene is just way more secure, and it's. And so the thing is, is just getting people to try it and start it is always the key. Even if they're gonna get on Facebook the minute they get a phone, or it, because even if you're using the Facebook app on a graphene phone, it is still more secure than using it on. You know, if if you can't get somebody a and I, I mean, I hate all of that stuff, right? The Facebooks and the Twitter. You got me to use Twitter, I guess. But like, <laughs> the thing, I've, I've never been into it and I probably never will. But the thing is, is if that's what people want and they want to do, okay, that's great. But at least you can use it more securely if you're using it on a graphene phone. So that's why you just get people to start using them right away. But it, the main thing being just getting people to use secure private devices, even if they're going to use them poorly, is uh, it, it's a huge head start and it normalizes the idea of protecting your security. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, you succeeded with me, man. Um, <laughs> I, I will now be using this. I mean, my goal is to use it in the most pure way possible, right? I mm -hmm. have my my shitty iPhone, right, that I rely on for day to day and you know, I got, I got my Monero wallets on there and I do have session and I got, well, t we use telegram a lot, man. We do mm -hmm. for, for all I noticed business enterprises. Yeah. Sunita likes it for various reasons. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we're, we're trying to move away from that. It's just, the, the hard part is the convenience, right? Which is why I, I, I love Mon I think Monero has really gotten that right. And especially mm -hmm. cake, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty freaking easy at this point. I think I'm proof of that. That uh, yeah. 
I'm, I'm like a hardcore Monero user and it's, it's easy to do, but yeah, yeah, totally agree. Like the hard part is just getting it in people's hands. (laughs) So anything else you'd, uh, recommend as I go down like the graphene rabbit hole, things that, uh, you recommend I do or apps that I use or, um, one, one little piece of advice that, uh, it has to do with the communication when you're talking about things like um, I kind of look at the whole world, not just the graphing thing as, okay, what stage in this giant psyop that the last 90 years of history has been, are we in? Right. And we've, we've hit the stage where language itself is the target, right? So people call a Google Android phone, an Android phone, but graphene is actually more of an Android phone than a Google Android phone, right? Or another thing is, uh, so when you're talking to people about your graphene phone, um, it's, it's important to seize back the fact that the only thing that makes Google Android, Google Android is stuff that they've added after the Android development and they've injected it into the phone Hmm. or, uh, but they do that with everything, right? It's just like, um, like Liberty tax accountants or whatever, where they, they take a word and they twist it. It's, it's pretty common. And when you're talking about apps, right. Uh, when when somebody says social media, if if you get a response with like Facebook, uh, sometimes you can kind of jab back and you can be like, uh, I don't even remember what the the one before Facebook was, but it's uh, MySpace or my yeah, you could say oh oh you mean like MySpace or just point out that like it may seem like your world right now, but it's already a dying fad, right? It's the idea of turning the Orwellian nature of these things on their head, um, where somebody might be like, well, I've never seen one of those before, right? When, they, when they're talking about a graphene phone, you can say, okay, what exactly is different about this phone than a Google Android phone? Well, of course, except for all of the spying on you that it does, right? Or, um, because you'll notice right away that it's, it is just like using any other phone. Um, and the best example of that is with Monero itself. Right. Um, and this, uh, I love body. I listen to everything he's done on your show. Right. But, um, and he, and he's doing what it is that he's supposed to be doing when he says, you know, Monero is valued this much in dollars or whatever. Right. Because that's what people are wondering, like how many dollars does my Monero buy or how much, I, my favorite one is when people say, what is gold worth right now? And it's just like, it wasn't even a hundred years ago that every other currency was measured in gold, right. right? And it's like, how much gold does my currency buy? And what's really funny about that is it used to be pretty much every currency, 20 units of it was an ounce of gold. So like that was the that was the pricing standard was, you know, if your currency went outside of 20 units was an ounce of gold, like you left the market. 
right? Now it's just normal for somebody's currency to just bounce all over the place against gold or against Monero. But one of the things that I'd point out is Monero has really matured. It seems to be almost as stable as the dollar when it comes to buying things, you know? Yeah, you think that's, I mean, is that just like a temporary thing or you think we're actually seeing some legit stability there? Um, well, it, this is nominally, like, you think there's like some real reason why we're seeing stability there or it's just like, it's just, this is going to be kind of like really highly speculative, but it is my opinion that Monero is stepping into a position that historically set price valuations, right? So um, it, it, people always talk about the black market, but then people like us always call it the free market, right? Um, well, we're entering into an era of price controls because that's the next logical step when your house of cards is collapsing is you start price controls. You try to force people to accept a certain amount. Well, you establish the real value of something on the dark markets or on the free markets. Um, and, you know, uh, here, I'll show you real quick for the audience. Um, so this is a gold back, right? And I'll try to make it where it's not reflecting poorly here. But this is a one ounce unit. Hold on. There we go. I hope the audience got it. But it's denominated as a one gold back, right? And when they made gold backs, that was about a dollar's worth of gold and it was a thousandth of an ounce of gold, right? Yeah, so stability of price of Monero, you're showing a gold back, right? We're talking about gold, how Yeah, so funny how I we compare. This is a gold back. Mm -hmm. And when they first started minting gold backs, it was uh I believe it was basically one gold back was about a dollar in US fiat fed notes. And uh now just the gold in it is two plus. And so the gold back held its value and the dollar did not hold its value. But I believe the gold back is supposed to be a play on words from the fact that the dollar was originally backed by gold and it's backed by nothing, right? Um and that's something that obviously our community like you know, has an entrenched understanding of it. But the irony is, is people still base so much of their decisions on the price of something that has value with something that has no value other than the violence that backs it, right? So, um, and that was actually one of the reasons, I don't even know if you remember this, but one of the reasons you said that you wanted to have me on was when you found out just how much we do up here that has nothing to do with dollars anymore. You know, we have food infrastructure, we have a labor infrastructure, we have, uh, and most people wouldn't think rural Alaska is a place where Monero would be so popular, but actually it's so popular, people will not sell their Monero for any price. You could offer them $500, they're not, no because it's so easy to come by a bunch of fiat fed notes and it's so impossible to get your hands on anywhere close to the amount of Monero that people are willing to buy up here. Um, cause none of them will use a, a, a an exchange, 
right? None, or, I mean, like one, you know, one of the, I don't even know what they're called. None of us use them, right? We all do peer to peer everything, you know? And there's the reason there's gold backs on my table is because that's what we use for hard currency a lot of the time, you know? It's, uh, and I think that you got to see that at, at the Monero talk as well. That is what we use here, you know? <laughs> so, um, you, you, yeah. guys, you guys are, you know, not just talking the talk, walking the walk. Mm -hmm. Is it so, I mean, is it when you say Alaska, you're saying the, you know, the area that you live in or Alaska in general is very much. Alaska is a very, very big place. Most, you know, it, people hear that and they like know that, but unless you've traveled around here, it's really hard to even begin to understand how big it is. You know, it's, uh, and the communities that I live in and deal with are, uh, you know, all of us have some kind of day job, or at least one of the members of the family has some kind of day job where they make fiat for whatever reason. Um, but that's not what we're interested in, right? We're interested in things like bullets and food and, you know, it's just how people live up here because you can't do anything with the paper right and it's it's all about what something can do you know it's, um it, but that's that's kind of one thing that really trips me out when people try to value something is inherently useful as monero and then they start talking about what the value of it is in dollars and it's just like no, I don't. I don't think you understand. It's, I don't think you understand how trapped in because the historical norm. I mean, it, there's what five thousand unbroken years of records. You know, whether it be the ancient Hebrews or ancient Egypt or Babylon, Samaria, ancient China, where you can piece together definitely at least four thousand years of history from then till now. It is extremely rare for people to value things in something other than gold or silver or grain or what. Um, and every era that has measured wealth in some fiat currency collapsed immediately after. And that's what history tells you. And when you ask me, like, why is Monero, you know, as stable as it is? Because it is shockingly stable, especially if you're thinking in terms of cryptocurrency. It's very, very stable as far as what it buys. Against the dollar, it's a little wobbly. But what it buys is more consistent than, you know, pretty much any currency out there. And... It's my belief that it is tapping into the real free market. And Monero is getting legs as far as its ability to actually appraise the value of real things, which is what you would expect from how, something. How much is a gram of Coke on the dark market right now? Is it, is it one Monero? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So somebody throwing that around, I don't even know how. But much. I would point out that cocaine is more tied to the price of government notes because the government grows it, flies it in. But you know, it's it's a government trade. If you look at the coke trade, it's just a bunch of because I don't really see a difference between a drug cartel and the U.S. government and a pharmaceutical company. They're all the same people. In fact, sometimes it's like literally the same people. So it, but. 
Monero is tapping into, you know, your your average hooker, right? So it's it, and historically speaking, you would get a, a, a decent amount of time with a with two hookers for about a tenth of an ounce of silver. And if you look so like this is a mercury dime, right? So this would be like eight uh, hundredths of an ounce of silver. Okay. But the funny thing is, so that's a fiat fed note dime when it still had current some coin. This is what a real dime actually is. This is a pure tenth of an ounce of silver, right? So if you think of it, it's about as big as my thumbnail. I, I don't know how good it's. I'll enlarge my screen so I can actually see. I got notes all over my screen. But like, there's the size of my thumbnail, and there's a mercury or a, a real actual dime. In fact, this is a Mexican one. It's an Azteca. But uh, that, like that used to buy you basically two hookers for four hours throughout all of human history, right? So that's eight hours of hookers. And, and the thing is, is that is the free market. Voluntary exchange of labor for something that's always going to be valued by a large segment of the population. And, and the thing is, is it's my belief that Monero is probably tapping into that in a very real way because people are investing a decent amount of their disposable income that they want to preserve their wealth into Monero. And one of the reasons why I think that it tapped in so early, um, and I can only say so much about this, but I can say enough now where it's a worthwhile story. Um, I have friends that I've done business with in cloud computing spaces. Um, and software was written in China with a businessman who had a lot of a lot of money in China, and he had a lot of assets in China. Um, and then Bitcoin, it, it followed by atomic swaps to Monero, and then atomic swaps back to Bitcoin, is how those people are getting their wealth out of China right now. Um, because capital controls are very extreme in all governments, by the way. You might not think America is like that. We'll try to get some money out of America and you'll find out it's actually not nearly as easy. Well, no, you yeah. did when you were trying to pay for stuff at the conference. Exactly. It's yeah. really hard. Yeah, it's like impossible. You, you yeah, really so the thing is, the value of crypto when you try to transact you know, uh, internationally, it's like, and the freest people figure that out first. You've had all kinds of people on the radio show or the podcast about, you know, like they freely come and go from different countries and they get it. Well, that would be what's usually called the avant-garde, right? The people who are early adopters for this stuff that understand what real freedom is. Well, that's why I always call it the free market and not the dark market, because freedom enthusiasts yeah. understand, you know? Dude, I love you, man. You're, you're, you're the real deal, man. <laughs> you're, the, you're the real deal. Um, shit. So, yeah, I mean, I like to believe that. So do we have we have any do we have any good evidence of it or it's just speculation at this point? You know, the, well, stability, well, the stability of Monero is actually due to the fact that people are using it for commerce. Um, well, it's right now it's very much at the theoretical stage, but 
wasn't it just last week? Um, I think it was Body on the podcast who pointed out there's no big financial incentive to do spoof transactions with Monero, mm. right? So the exchanges that you see with Monero are almost invariably real economic interactions. Um, and even the ones where somebody might make the case that it's not, they still are. Like I'm sure you and I have given, you know, a little bit of Monero to somebody to try for the first time. Okay, that's, you might say that's between spoof transaction and real transaction, but it's not because you just sacrificed real value in order to onboard some, somebody. And that to me is a lot like if you pay to go to an art museum, right? It's Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that's so, a big transaction for sure. So that would be my first piece of evidence, which is um, you've already ruled out a lot of spoof transactions, at least as far as the economic incentive to do so. But the other thing is, is uh, and once again, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to ever get anybody in trouble, or, but uh, Iranians who take payment in Monero in order to get out of Iran or in order or another one would be um, if if you leave India to go do work in Saudi Arabia, right, um, which is a lot more people than anybody would even realize. Right. Quickly rolling over that money into Monero protects you from all kinds of banking shenanigans that they do to these people when their job service is over. And they can still get a plane ticket and they can still get the money to their families. And, um, and it's pretty much an open secret at this point, the Cuba Monero relationship that is growing astronomically fast. Um, and obviously, once again, I can't really give any examples without like putting people at risk. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, but one of the reasons why I have the gold backs here right now is we're working on um, getting the optical mechanisms for making an ATM that will trade fiat fed notes for gold backs for Monero for, you know, any direction in the trade. Um, and one of the reasons is because people fleeing, let's say difficult situations in Southeast Asia should be plenty to say. Um, they can leave with the Monero and they can get here and they can get real value, you know? Um, and the thing is, is like, even if it's anecdotal, it proves the case that the connection is there. Now, whether or not that's connected to the stability thing that we were talking about before is a little harder to back up. But the thing is it, it would match history. So, I forget the name of uh, there's a, this economic rule about when two systems of money are present at the same time, the good money will be hoarded and the bad money will be spent. Yeah, Grisham's law is it yeah, that's what it was. Well, the thing is, is we seem to be witnessing Gresham's law in real time, where people are liquidating their fiat at an ever increasing rate, and it, it's hard to say. Uh, I mean, when people say, oh, interest rates have gone up, you know, you could say 1% or is it 
they've doubled or is it, it like because yeah you could say it, um under volker it hit like 21 percent or whatever but the rate that it went up and where it started at right you could also look at it as though it increased over such a percentage over such time and if you look at it on a percentage basis well the interest rates are actually climbing in the united states faster right now and you're also talking about way larger sums of money with way more bad debt right so you could almost say depending on once again how you look at it even with a really fast pace of annualized percentage year over year interest rate hikes people are still spending their money into the market faster than they're earning it and the debts are continuing to go up what that should tell you is even high interest rates and even a better return on your money than stocks right are people are still getting rid of fiat fed notes and they're buying real things even now mm-hmm and so that would be an example of is Gresham's law in play? Well, probably. Um, and and then you you take into the consideration like the historical norms of uh, how people got paid before, right? You know, the, they used to say a guy was worth its worth his salt, right? Because people used to get paid in salt but it was as a substitute for silver. And people just kind of knew the value between salt and silver and both of them held their value really well. Well, you can go all the way back to, you know, a a Roman soldier, like a legionnaire made, in fact, I actually have the numbers right here. Um, It's uh, so a legionnaire used to make about 18 ounces of silver a year. Right. Um, Well, that was a first world country of its day in the largest empire of its day. And keep in mind, he's away from home for years. Right. So there's like a serious premium on being away from home and all of that other stuff. And he used to have to pay for his food and his clothes getting washed and stuff out of those wages. Okay. And so the historical norm of being paid in silver and then knowing the value of the silver against the salt and knowing the value of, well, it's, it's very difficult to be fiscally prudent when the dollar is all over the place. And it's, as they say, the cleanest shirt in the hamper, right? It's even worse in other countries to try to figure out what something is even worth anymore. And look at how many jobs exist just trading stuff because you have a better situation for knowing what it's really worth, right? And that's not actually productive economics when you have, I don't know, one out of five jobs or just people buying and selling based on the changing values of things in dollar terms, you know? How could day trading even exist as a profession if the dollar was stable? Is it? It couldn't. So... I mean, that's that's why I really do think that the stability of Monero might be its ability to tap into the free market across borders. And I think we're just seeing the beginning of that. If that is, in fact, the case, it's only going to get because remember, once it stabilizes to being like 
I guess, the, the reserve currency of the free market, then people's demand for it will go up. And then it'll plateau and hit a new stable benchmark, mm-hmm. right? But once again, against dollars. What, what do you say to the BTC maxis that are convinced that, you know, uh, a, a crypto or a, something like, like a Monero, or for it to work, it needs to be a store of value first before it becomes a medium of exchange? I mean, obviously, I think in Monero, we're seeing the opposite, and that, that kind of makes more sense to me, that it's first used a, as a tool for purposes of exchanging, and then it gains its value from that. But the BTC maxis of the world would tell you the opposite. No, that's not how it works. I don't know. They'll, they'll quote some economist or something, some, I don't know, libertarian <laughs> well, economist that says, no, it, it's a law of nature. You, it can't be, you know, uh, it can't it can't be used for exchanging value until until it, it first acts as a store of value. I'm about to probably break the mold on how this conversation usually goes, but <laughs> hopefully it makes for good podcasting. Do it, baby. I... I definitely see this element of economic theory as completely wrong for everybody. It is my belief that the value of something is set by the productive person's willingness to trade it for his stuff. And like it, to, to separate it in any way is a fool's errand. And I'll give you an example. Um, I have absolutely no interest in about 95% of the stuff in this house that is not gold guns and MREs, right? But I pay for them and I own them because my wife likes them, right? And I care very, very deeply about my wife. And if she wants something, I'm willing to trade labor and capital and all of these things for, I don't know, like doilies or I don't even know what she has in here. I don't even look, right? Um, Or another good example is, uh, hold on a second. This is actually the perfect example. So this is the graphics card for my wife's next gaming computer. Okay. Now you got to understand it has a ribbon on it and it's scented. It's got cherry blossom smells when you open the box. Okay. Do you, if I was building a computer, I wouldn't give two shits about what it smells like, right? I don't care that there's a ribbon on it. I don't, you know, but because somebody that I love wants it, I'll get it. And the amount of money I was willing to pay for it is embarrassing, okay? It's like it. Except it's not because I'm proud of, you know, my my relationship with my wife or whatever. But I think you get the idea that the only thing that gives that value and the only reason somebody made it and the only reasons is because they venture to guess that somebody would be willing to pay for it. And that person would have something of value. But the thing is, is stuff has to be produced and it's produced by productive people. 
and it has to be designed and it has to be designed by intelligent, productive people, right? And when people say store of value, well, okay, if you're storing something because you believe it has value, inevitably you're expecting that someone who is productive is going to take it later, okay? And it's, so this is one of the reasons why it breaks my heart how many people believe that you have to get this massive movement of people together in order to change the way the world works. No, you need to get like 3% of the most productive people in the world to even look at it. That's all you really got to do. And once they say, oh, yeah, I'm open for business, and yeah, I take Monero, that's it. That's the end of it. Is it like it's, because it's you're just saying because then you you have a circular economy going at that yeah point. a circular economy doesn't come from everyone and their mother knowing about blah 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 or how to use a wallet that's one of the reasons why things like Monerotopia are anybody who wants to and this isn't a sales pitch I swear I don't work for Doug but like it's it, the things like Monerotopia what was happening there teaching people with stuff how to take Monero for their stuff and then showing them that you will trade stuff for that Monero is all you need to do. And when people try to get mass adoption for a bunch of, a bunch of weirdos on Twitter or whatever, it's like, okay, you could have 800, you know, nerds, right, who are all willing to talk about Monero and then never actually buy or sell anything with the Monero, you know, or you could have one guy who's willing to trade you avocado honey in Mexico that ends up all over your backpack. Um, so like if, if he will take Monero, then that's all I need to know because I want honey and he has it and he'll take Monero and now if he wants to get something from me, like let's say he wants me to run an excavator or, you know, grow a whatever deal, right? It's that's, that's all you have to do. Like onboarding the vendor is the key. And when people are thinking to themselves, I want to do something for Monero, what you need to do is you need to go to the next Monerotopia and you need to go and onboard some vendors. And you need to explain to them, like, I have this big pile of cash and I will buy whatever Monero, which, by the way, I tried people. Not a single person would trade me cash for Monero at the end of it. And I brought cash and nobody, nobody would trade their Monero at the end of the conference. I think Doug sniped like two people, but it was only because some of the vendors. Yeah, I did. Some of the vendors wanted uh, wanted pesos at the end. Yeah, but like none of them would take the pesos that in fact, I lost a bunch of money converting dollars to pesos and then trying to give people pesos for the Monero and they wouldn't give me any Monero for the peso. So I had to pay the conversion fee twice just to show you how worthless this fiat money actually is. All it did between when I got there and left was it lost money and then I paid interest on it. Right? <laughs> it's like, it just goes to show you it's, it's already a fleeting reality. And people say, oh, will it be this year? Will it be next year? Okay, well, how long are you going to live and how long is two years? How long is five years? Okay, maybe you live in a fiatized world, but at least your kids can have some freedom, right? Does it even matter at this point the link between fiat 
and Monero. What really matters is build the circular economy and just stop. Just stop everywhere you can. Just stop using the dollar everywhere you can, you know? So, and, and that's what it always has to be about. 100%, man. 100%. Um, did you try that shroom honey down there? No, you, you didn't try the shroom honey. Right? I never actually got around to trying the shroom honey. I, I, had a, I had a whole jar of it in my possession at some point because somebody didn't, like, they bought it and they didn't <laughs> want it anymore. So I, I gave it a go. I, and then I went to visit the, uh, the pyramids. <laughs> Well, there were so many different versions of shrooms available that it was like, you know. Yeah, the shroom honey was, pre was pretty wild. And there's, you know, big chunks of shroom in there, which I learned after you're actually, you don't really need to eat the, the shroom that's like fermenting yeah. in there. You're just supposed to eat the honey. Yeah, because it's uh, it's soluble in sugar yeah. bases. Right, it's yeah. absorbent. Well, yeah, I ate the shroom as well. It, uh -huh. was, uh, it was interesting. I always liked I, I've always liked shrooms anyway. I don't know why people yeah. don't like them, but it's um, well, they, they hit they hit in different ways, right? Yeah, uh, depending on I guess you know obviously dosage and type and mm -hmm. you know, the mood that you're in at at that time. But it it was nice. It was nice. Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup. Pay with Monero for premium fresh beans, and if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the Guatemalan farmers that made it possible. Proceeds help us grow this channel, Gratuitous, and Monero. Um, and yeah, man, I, I, I couldn't agree more. So what do you think? I mean, this is, you know... I'm obviously trying to do things all the time to push push the initiative forward. Monerotopia is all about that. I'm trying to build like a marketplace. So I'm working on that. I know there's Monero market right now, but mm -hmm. I'm working on something which I think is a little unique to that. But what do you think needs to be done? Well, like, what are things that we could do? People in the space that could do, like you said, obviously, what you could do is you could start using Monero. But mm -hmm. like, what what do we need to build out to to help? create this uh parallel economy any any, well, any ideas there we talked about taking the language back and really that needs to be a whole conversation in itself so i'll move on other than to say the orwellian nature of language right now is holding back people's ability to even talk appropriately right about what's actually going on because somehow the the word money has become synonymous with like something that meets none of the definitions of money from 50 years ago right right uh, You're, right we're, we're all, all brainwashed into thinking yeah. the dollar is the unit of account but that well I but mean, hold I, on that that said when you ask your question about what can we do right now what ties into that and why i said it'd have to be its own show to talk about the language part is art and one thing that stuff like Shibu Inu and Dogecoin did that Monero maybe didn't do quite as effectively is memes have this incredible power to them, right? They have uh, if if you can meme something into people's consciousness mm -hmm. 
and how you got to do that is you got to get the artists in every little clique, right? You have to get, you know, the swim enthusiasts have to see the swimming Monero meme and the, you know, the bowling enthusiasts have to see the Monero bowling ball. And, um, the, the, the politics people like it, it, the more, the more, especially humor, right. The more humor you can work Monero into the better, right. And never make it forced. That's why the artist is the key, right? There are people who are good at this. And, um, by the way, that's kind of the bell curve at which adoption happens with literally everything. You have these super bleeding edge people who understand it and are all about it. And they're always way too early. So they're almost exhausted by the time people even understand what's going on. And then you have the avant-garde people who come along later who they live it out while other people haven't even learned about it yet. But then what happens is usually it's artists or some kind of performance that when they adopt it, Goes not back. only do they make it cool for people who have been on the fence, but they make it public and popular for people who would have never even heard about it before. Um, a lot of people don't appreciate just how little our conversations actually register with the average person. And I don't mean us like Monero people. I mean, every human being out there, when they're talking to other human beings, it's truly amazing how little of exactly what you said makes it into the brain because there's like this compression and decompression cycle that happens when stuff is stored in people's brains with just how memory works. Um, and so something has to be almost omnipresent or ubiquitous to really infect the consciousness of a human being. Um, and by the way, this is one of the reasons why so much money is invested in things like whether it be Hollywood or, I mean, think about how much advertising budgets actually are. And it looked like, so Boeing and Raytheon, I think are like two of the five largest donors to both MSNBC and Fox news as an example, right? No one watching those shows is about to go and buy themselves a brand new hypersonic missile, right? Nobody watching those shows is going to buy a brand new 737, but they wouldn't have if it weren't for the fact that they were supporting whatever new. They do it to protect their image from the terrifying power of media, right? And it's just like, remember the meme about everything was brought to you by Pfizer. I mean, there's literally not a fucking show on earth that wasn't brought to you by Pfizer for the last 30 years, right? Not that I really watch TV, but I've seen a lot of these memes of just how many things are brought to you by Pfizer. Nobody bought something just because Pfizer paid for a TV show, right? They want to make sure that their interests are so deeply entrenched with whoever it is that's in front of the eyes of the public. So that way, whoever is buying their, their God awful pharmaceutical garbage, right? 
is never going to question the safety or the efficacy of what it is that they're purchasing. And this has everything to do with Monero, right? Because people who have Monero right now or use Monero are very pragmatic people. We don't make our decisions based on something that was on the news the other day or whatever. But you can't forget how much weight it has with some people. And remember how earlier I had mentioned that it's all about productive people adopting the value of it. It's not a store of value unless productive people will take it, unless vendors will take it, right? Well, a massive amount of productivity happens with people who work 12 hours a day, six days a week. They go home and they either watch a Hollywood movie or they listen to the latest news on whatever. Um, and, you know, most TV today is watched in the background. And what I mean by that is a person comes home and either their TV is on so the dog doesn't get anxious or they turn the TV on as their first act of coming home, right, as they're taking off their booth. They don't even watch it. It's just playing in the background, right? And it's not like advertisers don't know this. They're still willing to shell out billions of dollars, okay? As soon as the pragmatists who are Monero enthusiasts realize how many right-brained people would adopt Monero if we could make it artsy, if we could make it interesting, if we could show them the emotional side of these things. You know, at the, at the conference when, um, not to call you out, Luke, but when Luke was about to start crying because of the relationships that he's built over the last couple of Monerotopia, it's, they're, they're strong friends, right? It's like the way that I get choked up about my kids or whatever. Like you build relationships with people. They have a deep, deep effect on Does anybody get more left-brained than Luke, right? He's like the most pragmatic person ever. He's very, very cerebral. He's very, very logical, right? Luke, but Luke, he, Luke Parker, for anybody who's... Yeah, it's uh, the guy who's developing Sarai, um, who, by the way, after getting to know him, is just the nicest gentleman ever. Yes. And, yeah, <laughs> but... Uh, the thing is, is somebody as pragmatic as him still has this deeply social and emotional side. Well, Monero needs to tap into that. And, and honestly, if you, if the audience can see behind you, Doug, you clearly get it at some level, right? It's, I mean, you made this behind me, right? It's like, um, it's important for adoption and for the progression of this movement, though, to reach the artists next. We have the avant-garde community. We have the engineers. They're all, they're all behind us. And it's not Bitcoin versus Monero. It's not uh, proof of stake versus proof of work. It's us versus them. There's the tyrants, and then there's soon to be free humanity and nothing is more natural and intrinsic than a desire for freedom. 
so we have nature on our side. We have God on our side. We have the moral high ground. The next step is to get the artist to find a way to show that in a visual aid or in a song. And my favorite episodes of Monero are the ones that uh, you bring on musicians who wrote a song about uh, my favorite episodes of Monero talk, I mean. Um, and now my son is probably Crypto Bear's biggest fan. He's, he's got Crypto Bear stickers on his wallet. A cute story, when I was leaving for Mexico, uh, he gave me a little piece of paper and asked me to get Crypto Bear's autograph on it. Oh. I said, I don't think he's going to be there. And he's like, well, if he, this kid is two, by the way, at the oh. time. It's like, and he, he, he's like, well, if you can get Crypto Bear's autograph, that would be just awesome. It's a, it's Crypto a true Bear, story. if you're listening, I'm going to need you to send your autograph somewhere. Um, one of the first things I tried to do was send you guys uh, a video of my son dancing to Monero Party. <laughs> like, he's dancing to the crypto song Monero Party. So what do you, what do you I mean I, I I obviously agree here right uh, mm-hmm. we'd be amazing if artists entered the ecosystem do you think this ha- is just going to happen organically or there's catalysts that can be put in place to bring this along obviously, Well the the million dollar question right I mean I'm basically asking you to try to invent a way to to bring artists into the community but do you think this is just a matter of time or yeah, there's we need to do or the far be it for me to answer the age-old question of does life imitate art or does art imitate life you know i would love to imagine myself to be some wise old sage but i don't think i've got the answer to that one either man but what i will tell you is there's clearly linkage between the two right um and if if access to life for an artist is tied to Monero somehow, right? The the starving artist meme is a meme for a reason. Um, So I have an uncle who's, he's he's a musician and he makes movies and uh, and he's actually pretty famous in some really edgy cultures, but, um, and he's definitely an artist, right? He's, yeah. Well, the thing is, is, um, he lived like the starving artist me. I used to sell CDs for him when I was a little kid too. And one of the things that I noticed is, okay, so this guy literally lives in a van and he, he drives all over the country, you know, hot places with no air conditioning and cold places with no heater. So he can continue to make music and he survives on almost nothing. I mean, now he's doing all right, but like for decades, this man survived on almost nothing so he could live off of his art so he could just make more art, right? And the thing is, is where did he go? Well, he has to follow the money, right? And so Monero as a community needs to have those open arms that some dive bar in North Dakota had for some starving artist, right? Mm. It's we need to say, hey, you know, we have a place for you to stay. Or, you know, we take we trade food for Monero at a discount. 
and that venue is willing to pay you half or even 100% in Monero. And yeah, you could go rent a hotel for 200 bucks or you could stay at my house for free. Have I told you about Monero? It's like, yes, you have for the hundredth time. Just shut up, right? It's like, no, I can't shut up. But the thing is, is the starving artist will go where the food is, right? <laughs> because they're starving. And that's what starving people do is they go where the food is, right? And that's one of the reasons why what we do up here is we're trying to make a food infrastructure where Monero is the first choice for, for anything. Um, if you pay in goldbacks or if you pay in Monero, you get the real price. If you pay with cash, you get a 5% upcharge. If you pay with credit cards, you get another 3% or no, 45 now, 4.5% upcharge on top of your 5% upcharge. Right. Um, it's it, when you build your economy that way, it, um, it, it when the starving artist comes in, look, 9% is a lot of money to a starving artist. Right. So if you build your economy that way, they will come it would be my first suggestion. And then the second suggestion would be uh, uh, we need to be able to have the high tech literacy conversations where they're appropriate and we need to have the super low tech conversations where appropriate um and i'll give for those of you listening who have a very technical background um when i'm explaining uh first it's usually bitcoin right because somebody asks me about bitcoin I don't go off into, you know, all kinds of, I try to make it simple. I say, there's certain math that is easier to do forwards than backwards, which isn't necessarily exactly what it is. But I say, if you try to guess and check the angles and the lengths of a triangle, you'll be guessing and checking forever. If you have even one angle, you could probably guess and check in maybe a million years or so. If you have an angle and a length, you can guess and check within, you know, a reasonable amount of time and get pretty close. But if you have two lengths and an angle, now you can actually reverse engineer, right? Cryptography is using something similar to that. Now, is that true? I mean, not totally, but they get it now, right? They understand that there is ways to use math that only work in one direction and now cryptography isn't some alien wizardry that happens behind the computer screen right it's it's something that they deal with right every construction guy every contractor every heavy equipment operator knows about trigonometry they may not be like awesome at it but they know about it they use it every day and they already know they need two lengths and an angle or two angles and a length they all know that so you just made it real to them. And then you say, look, have you ever written a check? Yeah. Have you ever written a check with a carbon copy on the back? Or have you ever done paper where you had a carbon copy of some kind? Most truckers have written a BOL with a carbon copy. Or most uh, you know, accountants have made a carbon copy before. And then you say, blockchain is just making carbon copies on several computers and then comparing them to make sure that they match. Boom, you just explain blockchain without having to go. If people make it that simple, right? 
now a person doesn't have to worry about whether or not they're getting behind some, you know, alien like because you carbon copy checks are way older than what most people think of as a computer. Trigonometry is really, really old, right? So they're not trusting some new, you know, some new fantasy, whatever, that's going to break apart in a couple of years. People have been using cryptography for communicating for centuries, right? You have to demystify these things at a level that they can understand so they can go do what they do. They can go make the art. They can go build something and say, yeah, I'll build you a house, but pay me in Monero so I can go to Mexico and not have to pay so much. Pay me in Monero so, you know, when I go get some Thai hooker or whatever, I don't get caught by my employer or it like it because they have a financial interest already. Now you need to prove to them that this is not weird. You see? How about the the last mile problem, right? So, you know, you, you got people that will be like, yeah, Monero's great. Pay me Monero. It's anonymous. Uh, it's super low transaction fees. You know, I could, you could be in Mexico. I could be in New York. I could send you Monero. But then you have that, that last mile problem of now how do they turn around and spend their Monero, right? How do they mm-hmm. turn around and unfortunately you know, turn it into fiat if needed. How does that get solved? The chicken and egg problem. So how do you think, how do you think of those things? Um, aside from the earlier thing that I talked about, which is the vendor thing and the productive thing. Right. And um, honestly, that that whole thing does need to be hammered on way harder at some point. But I don't think Monero talk necessarily is going to have a lot of people in the audience who don't understand Onboarding vendors and onboarding productive people is it's a huge part of the puzzle. But the second thing is um, you got to look back at your history, right? Which is um, I, I think if I go all the way back, this might actually make for extra value. So I'm going to be a little long winded if you haven't noticed I'm good at that. Right. You're so. In the Torah, which is the the first five books of the the normal Bible, right? It's called the Torah or the Pentateuch, but it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, okay? No matter what version of history you believe, it's really, really old, okay? Nobody would date it any earlier than like 1,000 BC or something. It's really old, Okay, these documents. And that's extremely well validated. Well, in Leviticus, there is a law. And that law, it's called the Honest Weights and Measures Law. And during that time, people had, you know, the balance beams, right? So, you know, you got Lady Liberty with the, the balance beam. And it's like chains that have two platforms. And when they equal out, you know, it's the same weight. Okay. Well, scammers back then, we're talking 3,000 plus years ago and probably way before that. And I could get into the Babylonian records, but most people don't have that stuff available. But everyone's seen a Bible, okay? And what people would do is they would have one set of weights that was accurate, and they'd have another set of weights that was heavier than the stated weights, Okay, 
And so they would make certain people pay more by using the heavier weights and then taking the gold and the silver and in leading the person to believe, right, that it, that they were paying a certain amount when they were paying more. And the Bible expressly forbids that. But the point is, it was prevalent enough to make a law. You follow me? And it was also recognized as a means by which you could create a high trust society to not do that. Okay, now let's fast forward a thousand years. Why did people start minting coins? Okay, well, they minted coins because they had known weights, right? Um, and so people would then dilute the amount of silver and remint the coin or dilute the amount of gold and remint the coin, right? And then they had to make all kinds of laws about not doing that, right? But even still, so if you, uh, this is a walking liberty, I'll try to, uh, this is a walking liberty, okay? Um, or this is a, uh, a, a U.S. dollar coin, right? By the time you get to this coin, which is 1922, it was like 0.773 ounces of silver. Now, it makes a little bit of sense to have a little bit of admixture in the silver so sulfur doesn't make it like degrade. But you can still have like 95% silver and it's an honest coin. But the thing is, is every generation of governments would mint it just a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter. Now, this goes all the way back to the Roman times, right? And eventually, Gresham's Law, like we talked about before. Well, the next one is people would start to shave. Oh, the edges, yeah, so the ridges on it. I mean, I was going to show it, but yeah, the the ruffled edges was people would shave the silver off, right? Well, anyway, that was the idea behind a coin, and the roughed edges was to try to prove that it was what they say it is, right? Um, and then you go a little bit further. Um, the idea of having a note was okay. Well, I have gold in a vault over here, and then. I take my gold certificate instead of the actual gold and I cash it in over there. And then people just started using the note, right? And I will tie this back to what we were talking about earlier, but there's a reason why I'm bringing this up. So people eventually start using the note and then you end up with fractional reserves and then all of a sudden you end up with bank runs and then all of a sudden the process starts all over again. We need a new group of people who have gold reserves that it's tied to gold and backed by gold. And, and then you get all the way up to 1970 and it happens again, right? So we have a unbroken history of minimum 3,500 years of scammers, right? And what has always happened is people get wise to the fact that they're being scammed and they switch to the money that isn't scamming them, right? And so when we start to think about, okay, you know, how do we get people to on-ramp, right? Uh, how do we deal with the last mile problem? Okay, I want you to consider if it was such a threat 
to the value of Monero, why is it so slow to delist these currencies all over the world? Why is it that the people who are most threatened, right, are doing such a poor job delisting these currencies with the law? And why is it that they're making these shady deals with exchanges? And by the way, Arctic Mine is absolutely right. I, I'm, I, we had talked about it, at, and he and I had come to that conclusion from different reasons. Um, and once again, just to protect people, I think I'll leave it lie for now, because I have a sneaking suspicion it's going to become very, very obvious very, very soon how in bed with the governments and the corporations most of these exchanges actually are. Okay. And, but we'll leave that for now. Okay. The, the point is that it's because it is an empty threat. That's the truth. It is an empty threat because it's all faith-based everything about like the value of the dollar and people accepting the dollar. But Monero has a quality that these other things don't have, which is Monero has, it's a math based exchange. It's a trustless exchange. Now people are always going to find a way to get a sucker to part with his Monero in the future. People are always going to find it because that's the thing. It's, that's history, right? People finding ways to convince people to part with their money. But a false sense of security is easily violated. A lot of people say, oh, well, I carry my debit card because I don't want to lose any cash. Well, I think the number of people that are losing access to their debit accounts is starting to wake up a lot of people. You know, people say, oh, I carry around a credit card because I can charge back if I don't get my goods. Well, people are starting to pay 3% over and over and over and over again on all of their credit card transactions. It's like, you know, if you just kept that money, you probably could have afforded to get scammed once in a while, right? Like it's your, your insurance juice ain't worth the squeeze anymore on these credit cards. I've been unbanked for over 10 years. I haven't been able to get a bank account for 10 years. Or it's, oh, man, I'm getting old. It's longer than that now. But uh, I lost my ability to get a bank account in 2009. <laughs> so this is not news Perfect to timing. me. What? Perfect timing, 2009. Yeah. The timing has almost everything to do with what was going on back then, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> um, but I hated banks before it was cool, Doug. I promise. <laughs> I believe so. you. I believe you. <laughs> you are you are the real deal. Uh there's there's no denying that. What what do you think of like should should we want Monero to be listed on centralized KYC exchanges? There's those in the Monero community that are like, fuck that, you know, uh centralized exchanges suck. The whole idea is building a circular economy, which I I, I totally agree. But don't we also, wouldn't it be nice to utilize these on-ramps while they're here? Like, or are you, of, are, are you of the mind that like, no, we shouldn't, we shouldn't even want them to be on, Monero to be on these KYC centralized exchanges? Um, I mean, no disrespect 
to anybody when I use this next analogy, but I would say, um, I, so I just mentioned how I've been unbanked for, I mean, God knows how long, right? It's, I mean, that's 14 years. It's longer than that. Cause it's like January of 2009. <laughs> so anyway, I've never been able to, I mean, I obviously, if I really wanted to, I certainly could be using an exchange, right? I mean, I also have bank accounts, even though I'm on every bank's blacklist. But the thing is, is you can always out innovate these people's ability to put you on lists, you know, and I know plenty of people who have bank accounts, right? And so there are people who can use these on ramps. And if they want to use them, I mean, they absolutely should if it's advantageous to them in the here and now, right? Um, obviously, and anybody who's listening to me who doesn't keep the bulk of their Monero off of these exchanges, you deserve whatever happens to you, okay? But that said, um, I love the, uh, the degeneracy analogy, right? If you want to do some degenerate gambling with crypto and have some money on exchanges or whatever, do whatever you're going to do, right? I obviously don't, right? Um, but there has to be this gradient because the on and off ramps, the longer that they exist, the better. And my logic behind that is entirely humanitarian. And um, on top of obviously the value, look, the longer it takes for people to get on the Monero train, the better it is for me, right? That's for sure. Because the longer I can get people to send me Monero for a couple of dirty dollars, right? I, I'm all in, right? And I've got friends that, you know, they, we always do business. If they want something from me, they always use Monero because they can trade their fiat money in a bank account and they can pay me in Monero. They love it, right? And that's great for them. Um, but the humanitarian question is the most important question because there are still those that are so deeply woven into the system right now. They're so tied up in this thing that has so many people in prison. Even if they can take $10 a day and scuttle it away into Monero with the fiat on-ramp, and even if they don't even keep it on a cold storage wallet, but at least it's in a few different accounts or a few different exchanges or whatever, anything they can do to get even a piece of their wealth out of the system, we as a community should be trying, at least in part, to keep that alive. Um, and But never losing sight of the fact that Without the circular economy, the on ramps are worthless. Right? Sure. It's They're all about. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. You mentioned you mentioned a gold back. So you're working on gold back ATM. That's like that would be amazing. I was talking to the gold back guy about that. Mm -hmm. uh, like a narrow to gold back ATM. Is that did you did you did I hear that correctly? I, I had been playing with the idea since before that interview even happened. Actually. That's, but you're um, actually like pursuing this? Well, without talking about me specifically, like I'll be honest, I'm a very, very busy man. Um, and of course, you always try to make time for your family and you always try to make, 
I mean, it was it was like pulling teeth trying to set up a way to even go to Mexico. But I was like, I'm not missing this one. I I I felt so bad about missing the first one when I saw how awesome it was. I was like, not again, not happening again. But that said, um, I I've been working on pulling together the kind of team that it would take to actually there's several people that have been successful with each one of the individual components for this idea. All of the pieces even pre-exist my desire to doing it, right? Um, well, maybe not my desire of doing it, but like, you know, my beginning the, the, the figuring out of how to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we as a community, like the people that, one of the reasons why I put my face out there is, right, to talk for some other people as well, knowing that they're comfortable enough for me to say things for them. But we as a community have actually put together more than enough silver and gold backs and all of that to keep them, you know, like where they have the gold backs, where they have the fiat. Where, um, And we want to start with some coin shop people. So right there, you can even trade for silver and gold, right? Uh, like uh, if you wanted larger quantities or whatever. And almost every coin shop in Alaska is also a gun dealer. So like you can like right there, you've got the gold, you've got the guns, you got the Fiat, you got the Monero. You, it's all right there. Right. Um, and the, that's the idea behind having the ATM. But another thing to consider is um, there, there, there's high trust societies in extremely rural Alaska. Um, because it's so easy to get away with murdering somebody that it's either high trust or you're not in that trust circle and you're way deep. Um, but that said, in places like, for example, uh, Coldfoot, there's lots of gold mining going on. There's lots of uh, like oil stuff happens just north of there. Um, having gold backs uh it works a little bit better than cold storage coins, right? So if you have Monero in cold storage, it's more difficult to change the denomination, right? Although it does work, by the way. All these people who are saying, what if there was no internet connection, have obviously not put into practice using Monero on a day-to-day basis because there are actually a lot of solutions to that problem, which is like probably another show. Platform. What's that? open dime type stuff or like uh just paper wallet like what are you referring to there uh, yeah this i mean i've seen people using the paper wallet methodology um there's there, there's a lot of ways but i would point out that you can you can trade encrypted information with bandwidths as terrible as like a cb radio right so i mean the the level of ability to use Monero has not even come close to being touched, right? Because you could make, you know, when uh, at that conference when I forgot his name, even though I should know it, but he had mentioned his suggestion as a Bitcoin maxi pretty much would be Monero needs to have its own lightning network. Peter Todd. Peter Todd, yeah. The thing is, is Monero kind of actually does have its own lightning network as far as the use cases that he was saying 
were the reason why he would like to see Monero have a lightning network. And what I mean by that is people who are trading value outside of an internet connection that you can trade encrypted paper wallets on really low bandwidth and then cash them out on higher bandwidth. Or um, you can you can have basically, uh, remember I was talking about the ATMs being at like coin shops with gun dealers with all of that stuff. Um, you can have your on and off ramps at central locations that act as a lightning node, right? But they're more physical. They're actually real, right? They're real places. It's not just a network on top of a network. And, and lest somebody say, oh, well, that's a trusted third party. Well, trust comes in a lot of different, uh, different levels, right? I mean, this is about as trustworthy as you can get, right? Because people trust that they're going to be able to get food from a grocery store. People trust that they're going to get a house built when they ask a contractor to come on their land, right? I'm not even talking about paying the contractor. I'm talking about when you welcome someone on your property, hoping that they're going to build you a garage. I mean, they showed up with the truck and they had tools and, you know, you have to make that assessment. When people say trusted third parties in in a money sense, they're talking about like custodial stuff, right? And there's not the level of custodial interactions when you're talking about what is effectively a physical Monero node, right? For well, for a physical lightning network in rural wherever. Plus, the internet is it's everywhere now. Um, you're never that far away. I used to I used to work up in Prudhoe Bay, and Prudhoe Bay is like as north as anywhere ever. I mean, it is way north of the Arctic Circle, and at 50 below, I could get 3G cell phone service and sync my wallet. Okay, we're talking about like 500 feet that way over the ice is the Arctic Ocean. And I could sink a Monero wallet. Okay, it's like I don't think people really have gone down the when say, oh, what if the internet goes down? It's such a dead argument at this point. It's only their lack of experience doing these things that's causing that kind of a statement. You know, people will find a way to trade value if the value is there. So you think uh, we should have the next Monerotopia in Alaska? What do you, what do you think? <laughs> that would make my day, but probably not. Um, I don't know how many people would venture over there. It would be pretty, pretty amazing. You'd be surprised how many people would come if it was like during the tourist season. It is like, I know I, I like if I wasn't throwing Monerotopia and that Monerotopia was happening in Alaska. I know I'd, I'd it'd be a perfect yeah. excuse to go check out Alaska. Believe it or not, it would be the easiest time of your life if you needed to set up a Monerotopia in Alaska because I could make the whole fucking thing happen without you and having to lift a finger. But it's like, but the thing is, is what happened a little after Action Review about Mexico. Actually, I'd like to share a story that I've shared with you already, but I think the audience needs Good. to hear this. Go for it. Um, 
and I'll I'll shorten it mostly because I would feel bad for Luke if everybody had to hear the whole. This is a uh, Luke, uh, the Linux tutorial guy. Luke, I can't remember his name. Um, oh, uh, oh my God! Now you got me forgetting his name. Smith. Uh, Luke, Luke Smith. Smith. Luke Smith. Yeah. So I ran into Luke early in the morning in Mexico, um, <laughs> and it was the. It was before the doors were open on the first official day. And, uh, you know, Mexico City does have a sketchy reputation for a reason. It's certainly overblown, but it's uh, there's a reason. And uh, I see him and he, he definitely is alone. So we join up. And as I'm going toward the venue, because we're going to go to a park, there's two drug dealers fighting over drug money covered in blood and they are literally beating the crap out of each other but they are some of the worst fighters i've ever seen in my life and i actually have a lot of fighting experience and these people are like a there it, it was almost like it was if you were to invent the worst fighting style, like these people were in the middle of doing it, right? But anyway, they're still covered in blood and they've obviously been at it for a while. And the venue was held right next to a police station. If you guys weren't there, there was a police station next door with militarized police. And there was like 15 militarized police in the back of one of those, like the wagons, trucks. And they're just watching it happen. And there's two other police standing on the street just watching it happen. And uh, I just walked right through the two guys fighting. And Luke kind of walked around over by the cops. And then when the cops saw that they weren't dangerous, they ran over not to break up the fight, but to take the drugs and the money out of the drug dealer's <laughs> pockets. And then just like left with the drugs and the money. And there was a police camera pointed directly at these people, including the cops, literally just robbing the drug dealers. Well, the reason why I bring that up is this was feet outside of the venue's walls. And the venue was open to the public the entire time. The doors were wide open. Anybody could come and go while it was open. This was you know, like, like seven in the morning or something. This was like earlier. Uh, this right? was earlier than seven. And there was probably like six in the morning about. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And we hung out for a little bit afterwards. But the thing is, is the venue was open to the public. And just outside is you know, drug dealers and crooked cops and all of that stuff. And inside, um, so this mug, uh, this cup right here got you unlimited free drinks, okay? So this cup was worth like the hundreds of dollars of alcohol if you wanted. You could fill it up, get drunk, and pass it to somebody else, get drunk. And this cup, I mean, we weren't charging. We were charging $5 or something like that, but it was also bottomless coffee. Yeah. And I was a very busy person. I was trying to help you guys with literally everything going on if I could. And, you did. And there was also people selling drugs. And, and, like, and I watched people walk away from a table full of drugs for 30, 40, 50 minutes at a time with nobody there and drugs just sitting on a table. I walked away from the free drinks cup. Oh man, I sometimes two hours, I'm sure. 
okay? And we just had a little like donation bag and like a QR code. And we sold more cups than we actually lost from like, as far as people taking a cup that they paid for. We sold like what? 30% more cups than actually were taken, right? <laughs> so it's like, there was zero theft at Monerotopia. And there was literally drugs and cash and free drinks available to be stolen. And I watched over and over again as somebody would walk up to the table and they'd be like, oh, yeah, I see. It's like, oh, do you need a cup? Well, I don't really need a cup. I'll take the coffee one, though. And then they'd take the coffee one and then they'd put money into the donation bag, either pesos or dollars. And they would put like, a $20 bill or like 500 pesos into the bet. And then they'd look down and see the QR code. And then they would pay, they would overpay twice for their coffee cup and they wouldn't want the money back. Right. So people weren't just not stealing. They were opting into paying too much multiple times. Right. And then outside cops are robbing drug dealers. <laughs> And there's like aggressive violence happening outside. And then inside the venue, it's like, yeah, we only use recycled paper products. And we, uh, it's for those of you who didn't go to the venue, like one of the reasons for the cups is because they had a strict no disposable cup policy, you know, and I was joking about how this is going to be our argument when the thought police are telling us how not green our Monero is. We'll be like, no, you didn't see the Monerotopia venue, right? Like, we, we, there wasn't even enough power to power all of the equipment. Yeah. Like, we're, we were so we were good using the, the environment. exact amount of power we needed. Yeah, it's like, I mean, we just no found a way to use power. less. What? No excess power, no, yeah, no excess materials. Yeah, it, it was the most environmentally friendly thing I think I've ever been to in my life. And there was no theft there was no violence and you know this was during cinco de mayo too i'd see like drunk foreigners of every nationality just wander through and just like look at drugs on a table and be like how can i pay for this and there's nobody there to pay for it so they'd go over to the other tables so they could find somebody to pay for the drugs that they wanted that wouldn't happen anywhere right or uh like and it wasn't i know we keep talking about drugs for sale but actually that was like the minority of the things that were for sale like i bought one, my one wife a dress and yeah. what one, I mean, one or yeah, two. probably like a row but it is overall but like i bought jewelry for monero i bought clothes for monero i bought and then rebought honey for monero i bought uh tacos and all that for monero um it, it, yeah, it was it worked, and that's one of the things about Monerotopia. Why I'm saying don't come to Alaska. We don't need any help with adoption here, man. We need to go to. I mean, maybe nothing more sketchy than Mexico, like maybe not like a Lebanon or a Syria, but maybe a country like next to one, mm. right? Like a. I think a Buenos go. Buenos Aires could be be a good one, right? Yeah. Even though I get airsick and that would be even more time on a plane, but I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> well, shit, man, this is fantastic combo. I, I've, 
Dude, I, I really enjoyed meeting you in person at Monerotopia. Like I said, it was uh, one of the, you know, one of the things that we will forever remember from Monerotopia, Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for doing this. And I yeah, think we should. Bet. I mean, there's so many things we could talk about that I want to continue to pick your brain on. So I think we should just, you know, if you're down, just keep jumping on the show. You know, we'll keep uh, keep doing episodes whenever. Yeah. Whenever um, you're you know, I know. I, know, I wouldn't. I know. I wouldn't even be opposed to uh, like maybe doing shorts or something for you. Okay. Yeah. We could talk about that later. You were so helpful at the conference, man. Obviously like, you know, with the coffee and stuff, but also with the Q and a, you were, you were fantastic with that. Uh, Ask, ask we'll let the audience be the judge of that. Right. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) You're great. I thought you were great. I thought you were great. Um, Thank you, man. Yeah. Let's leave it at this. Just so, just so we don't go too long and we'll edit yeah. in the first 25 minutes that got cut off because of poor internet mm-hmm. and uh, we'll do another one. Yeah, for sure, man. All right, buddy. And I'll, I'll be communicating with you through my degoogled graphene phone, my mm. pure Android, my pure Android phone. Yes. Pure Android graphene thank you. phone. Thank you for that present. session. That was- that was so nice of you, man. That was amazing. You're an amazing person. Like, like this is like the vi- the vibe at Monerotopia. Yeah, you're the personification of that. So, uh, <laughs> you're doing a great job, man. Thank you for for well, bringing you. Vibes. You bet. All right, buddy. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna end the broadcast here. Hold on, hold up a sec. Any anything you wanna you wanna put out there before I hit the end button? Anything? Tell the people. Um, use it. Use it, use it, use it. Don't just hoard. You got to use the tech, the, the Monero. You got to use it. Go ahead. Now now that you created a Twitter, do you want to tell people your Twitter or you're not really going to be using it much? Because maybe uh, <laughs> my wife have... will probably use it a lot. Uh, let me double check what it even is. I don't even <laughs> remember anymore. AK Autonomy. So it's at... AK Autonomy. Oh, sweet. All right. Yeah. Thank you, sir. All right, buddy. (laughs) Cheers, man. Hi, Monero Land. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube, Odyssey, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to MoneroTalk.live for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in MoneroTalk.crypto in your Monero.com or CakeWallet send address field to send us a tip. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to being back next week.